Thanks, Kate. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you are a school-aged kiddo, sixth grade and under, and you'd like to head downstairs to the Sunday school class, you're welcome to go with Miss Liz and head down there now. Um, my name is Dan Moylan. I'm actually a science teacher at Northampton High School, but I'm happy to be here today to continue our summer sermon series, which is on spiritual gifts. And so I happen to have one right here. Okay, so there we are. Um, also, you know, today is, is Father's Day, so I want to say a special happy Father's Day to everyone out there. And don't you ever wish, you know, seeing all these kids up here, don't you ever wish you could have, like, a crystal ball and see what kind of jobs and occupations and skill sets these kids are going to have in, like, 20 years? I always think that about my two boys, Owen and Zach. I wonder what they're going to be when they grow up. And, and, you know, some of the kids up here we already know for sure. Like, Wyatt Weekly is going to be a life coach and positivity speaker. Um, <laughs> He's the most positive person I've ever met. He's six months old. So, I, I mean, his future career choice is pretty much locked in. Sonny Maychek's going to be a radio show host. You can't name your kid Sonny and not expect that to happen. Um, but for a, a lot of these kids, we just kind of have to wait and see where, where they're going to end up. Um, and what's one cool thing about jobs and occupations is oftentimes they reflect a skill set that you have. And I think sometimes those skills that you have uh, are just innate. They're kind of like woven into your DNA. Do you know anybody that is just was like born a teacher? Like you know these people and you're like, they have just got teaching in their bones. Um, chances are those people are going to end up in some kind of career choice that involves teaching. And there's lots of different spiritual gifts, not just teaching, um, that God equips us with as part of our unique workmanship uh, in being created as a child of God. So we've so far this summer, we've talked about the gift of prophecy, being able to like find a lie and, and like expose that lie so that truth can come in. Uh, we've talked about the gift of service, where you can find the needs of people and meet those needs out of love. Uh, and then that gives people insight into how, how much God loves them and can meet their needs. And then today we're going to talk about the spiritual gift of teaching. All right, but there's lots of different spiritual gifts out there. Uh, administration is a gift. Hospitality is a gift. Mercy is a gift. Uh, being a pastor is a gift. Shepherding is a gift. Uh, but today, we're going to take a look at the spiritual gift of teaching. So I'm just going to pray for us one more time, and then we're going to open up the Word and uh, take some more, uh, look at some insights into this spiritual gift. So Father, we just thank you again so much for this church, these babies, these dads here, Lord, who you have orchestrated uh, these families together. And you string us together, and you provide and equip us with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for spiritual gifts, and I pray that during this time, the Holy Spirit would just be active in the hearts of, of the listeners here. Um, and just help identify that we are unique, uniquely created uh, with a purpose. We love you, Lord, and we're here because of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So teaching. You know, when, you, when we look at a, a skill set or an ability, and we call it a spiritual gift, we get those out of the text that Kate read, Romans uh, 12. Um, we call it a gift because they're given to us. It's not necessarily something that you can uh, just go out and get. You can develop a skill set. You can develop that ability. But if it's a spiritual gift, it's like a unique part of who you are, just as part of the way that God created you. Um, it's a spiritual gift and not a regular gift because it came from our spiritual father, and there's a spiritual purpose to the gift. So if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, but you never uh, teach in a way that connects people to God somehow, then it's not, you're not really fully living out that, that spiritual gift. You can still be a teacher and you can still have a skill set of teaching, but the spiritual gifts, those unique abilities and skill sets that God gives us are, are given to us for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring us closer to God and to bring other people closer to God. So um, that kind of is going to set the tone for what we're going to learn about today for the, the gift of teaching. And when we look for an example on what a good 
teacher looks like, somebody who has a spiritual gift of teaching. We can look to um, Jesus in the Bible for that. And spoiler alert, we can look to Jesus for all examples of how to live out uh, spiritual gifts in the Bible. But specifically for teaching, I think, you know, I I heard that it was, um, Jesus is addressed in the New Testament by somebody, there's about 90 times where he is addressed by an individual. And 60 out of the 90 times, he is addressed as teacher or rabbi, which is a teacher of Jewish law. Uh, And so much of the recordings of Jesus' life is him spending time with people and teaching them in a way that brings them closer to God and reveals who he is. Uh, And that really is what the purpose of, of teaching is. It is to reveal truths. So if you have the gift of spiritual teaching, your job then is to reveal a truth. Okay? And Jesus was really good at that. Uh, there's you know, parts in the Bible where it describes 5,000 people coming to, to listen to Jesus do, do a teaching. 2,000 years later, after he stopped his teaching ministry, we're still learning about the things that he taught. I mean, that's effective teaching right there. There were points where he had to stop his teaching and then go figure out how to feed all these people because they were there so long listening to him teach. There's examples of him having to go out onto a boat and teach from the boat because there's too many people on the shore for people to see him and for people to hear him. So we know that he was an effective teacher, and it's totally um, applicable to be able to look to him for examples on how we can exercise that gift of teaching in a godly way. So join with me as we unpack unpack the gift of spiritual teaching. So based on what I've been reading this week and and studying, I can see that uh, the first component of, of... of teaching as a spiritual gift is to know your content. Okay, and by the way, I'm going to to talk about three different things that I've learned about Jesus as a model teacher. And those things translate into the classroom and they translate into uh, spiritual teaching as well. So the first thing, the first little thing is, is content. Know your content. And I don't want to brag, but this is a Bachelor of Science from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Um, Yeah, don't don't patronize me. But I told you that I'm a high school biology teacher, and what equips me, firstly, to be a high school biology teacher is that I have a background in biology, a little bit. I remember getting this thing and thinking, UMass is going to knock on my door and be like, oh, we made a mistake, you don't know enough about biology to be a teacher. Um, But after teaching for a few years, I think I feel pretty confident with a a ninth grade level of biology. Um, And so that equips me to have that job. Northampton High would never have hired me unless I had that little piece of paper that shows I spent four years investigating, learning about the basics of science. And so that equips me to be a high school science teacher. Um, I think that when we look at spiritual gifts in the context of the church and of the kingdom of God, um, Jesus plays a pretty bi- puts a pretty big emphasis on understanding content. And actually, I'm taking a class right now at, uh, online And the class has me reading this book, which is called Teach Like a Champion, 62 Teaching Techniques That Put Students on the Path to College. This is Teach Like a Champion 2.0. The 1.0 version only had 49 techniques, so they found uh, some extra techniques, I think. And guess what's not in here? Understanding your content. And out of all 62, there's nothing here about a teacher needing to know the content. And I think it's not in here because it is so obvious. It is so obvious that if you are teaching something, you have to understand what you're teaching at a heart level. So that, and and really, it's so that you can point out where people are misunderstanding that. That's that's really the difference between understanding something and memorizing something. If you understand the science, I can point out when a student is kind of missing the concept, and then I can change what I'm doing and address that. But if I'm just memorizing facts about science, I can't do that. 
And so effective teaching starts with understanding your content. Jesus placed a huge emphasis on that, and we can tell because he got really angry at people who were trying to teach the content of the old scriptures but didn't understand it. So who are the type of people you think that he was not pleased with at their teaching of Old Testament scripture? Anybody know? The Pharisees, yeah. And the Pharisees were Jewish leaders who were teaching Old Testament law, those 600 um, laws or so that are found uh, in the Old Testament. And they were teaching those as the means to get close to God. Because we were born as, uh, as sons and daughters in the image of God, in the same way that you can look at your son or daughter and say, oh, he kind of looked like me. And because we're spiritual beings, we also kind of have spiritual uh, similarities to God, which means there are times when we think and act and feel things that are the exact same way that God would think or act or feel. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're just like speaking into your heart and you're like, oh, that, this, this is like God is speaking to me through that person right now, right? That's because we were created in the image of God. And so we have characteristics that reflect who he is. But we're also human. And so we have tendencies to do things that are outside of the character of God. We think certain ways or feel certain ways or act certain ways that are outside the character of God. And that is bad news because everything that God does is holy. And if we do anything outside of the character of God, that means that that is unholy. And it prevents us from being in a long-term, intimate, close relationship with our spiritual dad. That's bad news. It's bad news for us because we're created to be in an intimate relationship with him. And it's bad news for God because he loves us. And he wants to be in an intimate relationship with us. But there's good news. And the good news is that because we are so loved, God made a new covenant. He made a second plan that is not based on behavior. And if you feel distant from God, there's no amount of good that we have to do to earn goodness or his love. It's not based on works. It's based on faith. And that's where Jesus comes in. And so Jesus came to earth as God to live a perfect, holy life. Everything that Jesus did Everything that he said, everything that he thought, every emotion he felt was characteristic of what God would think and feel and do because he was God. So his life was holy. He's the only human who ever lived whose life was holy enough so that when he died, that could be a price, that could pay the price for our unholiness, for all of humanity. And that was God's plan. And that is, that is a free gift, that faith in Jesus, that he was who he said he was and that his death was enough to cover our ungodliness, um, and that brings us back into a right-standing relationship with God, that is good news. And that's called the gospel. It means it's not behavior-based, it's faith-based. It's not about what you do if you want to get close to God. It's about who you know. And that's the gospel. Now, the Old Testament um, laws and commandments were designed for us to recognize just how much we need a non-behavior-based plan to get back to God. There's no amount of good that we can do to make ourselves holy because we're not God, right? And so that list of commandments, Old Testament law, was designed to highlight that, that if you're trying this behavior plan to get close to God, to make up for your sins, it's not going to work. And so we look at that and we think, oh man, we are hopeless to do it on our own. And that primes our heart to receive that free gift of grace, that it's a faith-based salvation, not a behavior-based salvation, But the Pharisees, when they were teaching Old Testament law, they were teaching it as the commandments are a stairway to get you closer to heaven. And the more steps you can climb on the behavior ladder, the closer you'll get to God, the more forgiven you'll be, the more holy you'll be in his sight. 
That's what they were teaching. And by the way, when they were teaching that, they had, the, they had those laws memorized. They like wove the laws into their braids. They had some of them tattooed on their bodies. Um, and they really highlighted the importance of these laws as a mechanism to get to God. Jesus didn't like that because they didn't understand the content of what Old Testament scripture was supposed to do, which was supposed to prime your heart to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And so there's um, a moment where he kind of lets them, there are many moments where, where he lets them have it. Um, and in one of them, in Matthew, he, Matthew 23, it says, uh, he's addressing the Pharisees and the scribes, people who copy the law, and he says, you've memorized the law, but you don't understand it. You don't understand the content. You love being called rabbi and instructor out in the marketplace for power and not for the real purpose. He calls them whitewashed tombs. You look okay on the outside, but in the inside, you're dead. He calls them serpents, a brood of vipers. He says when they teach, it actually closes the gates of heaven in the face of who they're teaching. He tells them that if they ever do earn students based on their teaching, those students are twice as fit for hell as they are for having taught it. I think it's fair to say that Jesus places a a healthy emphasis on understanding content before you teach it, wouldn't you say? Um, And for the Christian, our understanding of the content that we're teaching comes from an intimate application of the gospel of Jesus into our lives, right? Jesus could teach this. He could teach what Old Testament law was, and he was good at it, because not because he had his PhD in Old Testament law or his MDiv. It's not because he memorized all the laws. It's because he authored them. So he could speak into them. You and I don't have those memorized. We don't have a PhD in Bible. Uh, But what we do have is an intimate, real relationship with the gospel. We've applied it to our lives. We've worked through hard stuff with the truth of God in there. Um, And so we can speak to that as witnesses. And that's what understanding the content means with the spiritual gift of teaching, is that we know the gospel the good news gospel based on Jesus, not behavior, and we've applied it to our lives. And that impacts how we act, it impacts how we think, how we spend our time, where we put our, our, our faith. Um, it, 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 it seeps into every part of, of who we are. And because of that, we understand content. And so if you feel like you have the spiritual gift of teaching, you feel alive when you teach, uh, preparing for teaching is not a burden, but it's a blessing. If you feel closer to God when you teach because you feel like you're doing what you were born to do, if when you teach, you can kind of recognize that that brings insights and reveals truths to other people about who God is, if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, understanding the content is at the core of exercising that gift. Okay. The second um, lesson we learn from Jesus is teaching. Is this. You guys should have seen Zach when he realized this was not a gift for him this morning. <laughs> Um, anyone, can anyone, this applies across, I mean, know your content, any classroom teachers in here might guess, know your content, what's the second thing that we learn about effective teaching? Have a target, have a target, (laughs) what did you say? Have a point, yes, well, that's, that's what it is, yeah, have a point, have a target, and in the, in classroom talk, what we really say is know your objective, Right? Is know your objective. What is it that you are actually trying to reveal? If teaching is revealing truths, what is the truth that we're actually trying to reveal? And we might think that that's obvious, right? But have you ever been in a classroom where the teacher clearly knew the content? Maybe they were at the top of their field. And you sat through class and they filled the class time with stuff, 
but you walk out of a class like, what just happened? Like, I don't know what... Or you're sitting to take a test, and you feel pretty confident that you're paying attention in class, you took notes, you studied, you sit down to take the test, and their tests, the questions don't reflect anything that you really felt like was emphasized in class. Um, or perhaps the teacher just really enjoys talking out loud, and so they follow their own thought path so that they can hear their own voice. Right? So it is possible to know the content but not have an objective. And so one of the teaching uh, points that we learned from Jesus' ministry is that it's important to know content, but it's also important to have an objective. And the truth that Jesus was revealing as a spiritual teacher was who he was and who we are. Every single conversation, teaching moment that Jesus had with individuals was the purpose of it, the objective of that teaching moment was to reveal his identity and to reveal our identity. And that is that we are dearly loved children of God who were lost, but who are found in the identity of Jesus Christ as our Savior. God loves us so much that he came to earth, died on a cross, and his perfect holy life was enough to eliminate the behavior component to heaven and hell. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. And that, that, um, Jesus spoke into that in every single teaching moment that he had. Even when it was hard, even when he was being persecuted and chased down by Jewish leadership who were threatened by the truth that he was trying to reveal, when he was exposing lies to people, even when he was hungry and tired and sweating through prayer, he did not deviate from that objective, which was to reveal who he was and who we are, even to the point where he died on a cross to reach that objective. And as Christians, as Christians who have the spiritual gift of teaching, we're applying the gospel to our lives to understand the content. We're witnesses to its power. But the objective of what, why we do what we do is also to reveal that truth. Our objective is to reveal to people that you are a loved, you are unconditionally loved son or daughter of God. And God proves that to us through the life of Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? That is the objective of what we teach as Christian teachers. If you have that spiritual gift, that has to be the core of what we do and why we do. And we can, de- you know, we can go on, you can have separate content areas, like you can teach on parenting, what the Bible says about parenting, or you can teach about uh, being a man or being a woman or being single. Uh, but it all comes down to the core of our identities as unconditionally loved children of God who have been rescued by Jesus Christ. Okay. Third component, and the last component, is know your audience. Okay. This is a, a term that's often used in marketing, too. Like, what demographic are you trying to reach? And then you use that to figure out you know, what, what kind of uh, advertising songs or music or food or colors you might use uh, to sell a product. That's not what we mean here. Know your audience is the third uh, component, uh, the third point of spiritual gift of teaching that we learned from Jesus. Because he reminds us that the point of the content when you're teaching and the point of the objective when you're teaching is to connect a person to God. It's not about hearing yourself talk or just getting this thought out there. It's the fact that there's individuals who have something at stake here. There are individual lives that God is trying to reach. And sometimes those lives are based on lies, that there are other things that they should be focusing on to get close to God. But our role as spiritual teachers is to recognize that God has an individual son or daughter that he's trying to reach, and he's calling us into that process to reveal the truth to them. Um, And that might impact how you communicate that truth of who God is and who who people are. So your audience 
can change. The truth doesn't change, but your audience changes, and their cultures change, and their likes and dislikes change, and their scars change, and their hurts change. And so even though our truth doesn't change, our objective doesn't change, how we communicate and teach that might have to change. So I don't know if you guys, anyone in here, um, at some point in your, in your, think about the last week, and at some point in your job or your career or your home, you had to teach somebody something? Raise your hand if you had to do that. Okay, all right. Anyone in here part of a, a public school system or a private school system you teach? You're a teacher, basically. Okay, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in Massachusetts, the number of non-English-speaking students is going up. Have you recognized that? In the last 10 years in Northampton, it's doubled. So we had, we had about 40-something students 10 years ago. Now we have about 115 students. They're called ELL students. They're students or English language learners, right? And some of them know a little bit of English. Some of them don't know any English. But they're new enough to the language that it impacts their, uh, how they learn in the classroom. And so I was told last year that I was going to get a class of 25 biology students, and eight of them did not speak any English. And I had to figure out how to get my biology concepts across to those kids uh, who don't speak any English. And actually, the state of Massachusetts, if you want to be a teacher now, you have to take a semester-long course on how to teach students that don't speak English. That's part of the certification process in Massachusetts. In fact, all the existing teachers in Massachusetts had to take that course as well over the last three years. So I took this course right before I had that class of, eight, of 25 kids, eight of them, no English. And I learned a lot. I had a great instructor. I actually learned a lot uh, from the class. Um, but the first biggest component... I wish Joanna was here today, actually, because she's an ELL teacher. Um, but the first component, the first really nugget of truth that I got from taking that class was don't worry about the content and worry about the person. So spend a few minutes asking them where they're from, try and learn how to say hello and goodbye in their language, ask them what type of foods they like to eat, do they have any brothers or sisters. Uh, and so I, I did that with my students. They kind of congregated together, and I tried to match them up with English buddies, but I went and found them in the cafeteria, and I had lunch with them. I learned how to say hello, and all of their, they didn't all speak Spanish. A lot of them did. Um, but I learned how to say hello in all their languages, and I shook their hands every day when they came in and said hello to them in whatever their native language was. Um, and it kind of built up this relationship between us where they could feel okay saying that they didn't understand what I was actually teaching. Whereas if we didn't have that connection, they might have just went like that, just so because they would have been afraid of admitting that they didn't know what was happening. So the first component is really to, to make a connection, a relationship with those, with those kids. The second thing I learned was to make sure that you have a language-rich classroom which means that the students are practicing speaking, listening, writing, and reading in English every day, which made me think about all my lessons. And it was surprising how many lessons I didn't have my kids in my classroom have to say anything. I just did all the talking in the classroom. But it made me think, uh, what does speaking in my class look like? And that helps students learn the language. But I had to be thoughtful about that. I had to go back through every single lesson and make sure I incorporated some component my objective didn't, didn't change. Photos the equation for photosynthesis never changed. But how I presented it to those kids did because my audience changed. Um, and then um, the other thing that might be obvious is I just tried to supplement every single word on every single piece of paper or PowerPoint with a picture uh, so that it kind of aided them in, in deciphering what I, was trying to, what I was trying to teach. A lot of this modeling came as a result of that. Um, every single test I had, I would look at it, and I'd say, how can I ask the same question, not dumb down the content, but not use any words, or support other words? And so it was like a game of Pictionary for all my stuff. All my stuff. Um, I had a student teacher that semester, and so I had a lot of extra time to do this for each of those students. 
at the end of the four months, those kids who come to us who don't need any English, who don't know any English, still don't know a lot at the end of four months, but they have to pass a state NCAS in biology, which is given in English, in order to graduate high school, which is a huge challenge. All eight of those kids passed that biology NCAS, except for Pablo, but he had attendance issues, so we're going <laughs> to ignore him for now. He's taking it again. I'll see him next year. Um, but seven out of the eight passed without really being able to have a full conversation in English, and it was because the content of what I was teaching them didn't change, the MCAS biology test didn't change, but the way I presented them, the material had to change in order for them to receive it. And in the same way, we see Jesus doing that in the Bible when he's trying to reveal the truth of who he is and who people are. When you see Jesus teaching in the synagogues, in the synagogues he quotes and he cites Old Testament law as a way to reveal the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. And some of those scholars get it because of the words that he's using and the terms that he's using that hits home with them. And people believed. And then you see Jesus shift gears when he's talking to his disciples, who are a bunch of committed, sometimes dummy, people who think they get it but really kind of want power. And he's kind of like working through this mentor-disciple relationship with them. And with them, he has to continually remind them that he is a servant and that they too are supposed to be servants. That's part of the identity that he needs to reveal to them. He shows that to them when he's washing their feet. And he didn't wash the feet of the Pharisees, but he did that with his disciples. His audience changed, and so the way that he communicates that truth of who he is changed. We see that when he meets the woman at the well, and he doesn't cite Old Testament scripture, and he doesn't wash her feet, but he speaks into her deepest insecurities, the thing that she clings to that thinks keeps her from being in a relationship with an unconditionally loving God, and he speaks into that. And so as Jesus' audience changes, the method with which he communicates and reveals the truth of who he is changes, but the content doesn't change. The objective doesn't change. That stays the same. Okay. And so what does that mean for you and I as Christian men and women who may have the spiritual gift of teaching? Well, first, it's that we are working our way through understanding the content. That means we are applying the gospel to our lives. It means when we're in crisis mode, we remember that we are loved by God and he's in this with us. And we have a hope in the promises that he gives us, that we're actually doing that. We're applying that to our hearts. Right? Maybe, we don't, maybe you don't really understand the gospel yet. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that it's a faith-based plan and not a behavior-based plan. Right? But investing in the content means you're asking questions. You're working through that. You're praying. You have friends that God has put in your life. You have an audience that he has intentionally put in your life to help you work through that. That's the understanding of the content. The objective is to recognize and communicate that Jesus is the gate to God. It is the only way. Right? He is the path. And it is through his death on the cross that forgives us our sins and puts us in a right-standing, eternal relationship with our spiritual dads. We want to reveal that to people we want to, and reveal that they are loved by God. Okay? And maybe you got the content and you, you, you feel that, but you have a hard time kind of communicating that to people. You have a hard time putting your finger on what actually it is about God or Christianity that changes people's lives. Okay? And in that, sen- in that sense, we have, you have to work <laughs> on that. You work out what is it about God, what is it about this faith-based plan that actually transforms us and gives us new life and walks us into a new relationship with our Heavenly Dad. You figure that out, you commu- figure out how to communicate that. That is your objective. 
Um, if, you, if you're missing this, that might mean like inviting people to church because there's cool people here that dress kind of cool and there's good music and you get community. But we're, miss- we're getting people here, but you're missing the objective, which is that there's an intimate personal relationship with Jesus that happens that changes your whole life and frees you. Right? And maybe you're on the audience spectrum where you get the content, you understand the gospel what that means and who Jesus was, but we rarely communicate that to other people in any particular way. And yes, I call myself a teacher. Yes, I think I have a spiritual gift of teaching, but I use my teaching talents and skills and abilities in areas aside from this. Okay. But there's a component to the truth, which is that that truth needs to be revealed to everyone. In fact, Jesus' last command before the cross was to go forth and make disciples of all nations and teach them to follow his commandments. So that was to everyone. He didn't, he didn't particularly like designate that to people who have the spiritual gift of teaching. But we are all teachers. If we have received that truth, if that truth has been revealed to us, we are called by Jesus to reveal that truth to other people. Okay? And so God's putting an audience of people in your life who need to be taught that. God put somebody in your life who taught you that. You were that audience at one point. And we remember that it's about relationships. And so God is teaching us through other people, and then we teach other people through relationship. And how fortunate are we to be part of a church like Mercy House where the objective, the content, and the audience is clear every Sunday. Do you guys recognize that? That, that this is a, a unique, special place that like, is empowered by God? One of the ways that we protect this is by... Um, well, one of the ways that we ensure this is making sure that our pastor uh, understands all this, and he does, and what an effective teacher he is of this way to reveal the truth of who God is. Uh, if, if there are guest speakers up here today like me, Robert sends out kind of a, a sermon grid that we fill out to help us plan the sermons, and one of the boxes in that grid says truth target, which is really objective. What is the truth about God that you're trying to reveal in this? And let that inform your whole entire teaching time. Um, another way that we ensure that this happens at Mercy House is by doing communion every single Sunday. And when Mercy House first started, about a, few, about a decade or so ago, almost two decades ago, um, we, communion would happen sporadically um, when it kind of worked into the sermon. And then we, we said, okay, well, let's do it once a month. And then it started happening once a month. And as we grew as a church, and we feel like God was really leading us to church, uh, we made the decision to do it every single week. And the plus to this is that no matter who's teaching, no matter what the content is, no matter what the scripture is, we tie it back to the objective, that Jesus Christ is the path to God. And it's his death on the cross that reconciles us to our heavenly dad. And so every sermon has, the preacher has to go from here to here. You just have to do it. You have to tie it in there. And for those of us that have the spiritual gift of teaching, it's important we recognize that this is our objective. We digest the content by applying it to our lives and we keep our eyes out for who God is giving, to us, giving us as an audience. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you all up. If this is true for you, uh, I'm going to invite you up to take part in communion. And so the people that uh, are welcome up here are folks that have understand that truth. You feel that truth has been revealed to you and you've placed Jesus as, as your Lord. You're welcome to come up and take the bread and take the cup. And you come up the front aisles and go back and have a seat. And I'd encourage you to use that time to uh, evaluate where you are in this teaching process. Which point from Jesus do we need to learn uh, to exercise 
and pray that the Holy Spirit would help you do that. And maybe, you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe this is kind of new to you, or um, you're not quite clear on, on what the gospel actually means for you as an individual. Then use this time to pray through, pray through that with God. You, you are a loved son and daughter of the Lord, and he wants to know you in a deep and eternal way through faith in his son, Jesus. So I encourage you to use that time uh, to pray that way. So, teaching is revealing truth, and the spiritual gift of teaching is revealing the truth about who God is and who we are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your design of this church and giving us access to your truth and through you, to you through Jesus Christ, Lord. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to um, understand what it means to have spiritual gifts, that they're, they're gifts that are exercised here to expand your kingdom, Lord, specifically those in the room who are um, feeling like they have the gift of teaching, Father. I, I pray that you would help that to be developed in a way that makes your kingdom greater. We love you, and we are here today because of you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you come up, um, what we're really doing is modeling um, Jesus' death on the cross, and so on the night before before he was betrayed, he took bread in front of his friends and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Uh, eat this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took a cup and he said, um, this is the cup of the new and the everlasting covenant, one that is based on faith and not behavior. Drink this in remembrance of me. So at this point, I'd like to invite you up, take the bread and the cup, and you can find your way back to your seats for silent prayer.